Hi, this is Martha, and welcome to our Grace Church Podcast. We are so excited to bring to you this conversation. We think that the next few minutes will stretch your thoughts, focus your prayers, and help you to better understand how God is moving among us. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. Hi, this is Father Jonathan, and we're continuing in our Christ in the Marketplace series with another conversation today, and today with uh, Ken Osley. Ken, hey, how you doing? It's good to be here. Thank good. you. I'm yeah, doing well. Yeah. Good. Uh, thanks for coming in today. As we, well, let me also just say, you know, Ken and I have been friends since I moved here, so, I mean, I know friends might be a strong word for you. You might want to it's just say. It's not strong enough. <laughs> it's not strong enough. <laughs> Wait, okay, so as you made a point before we started recording that because right now the Portugal... Uh, Wales game is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you have a greater bromance with, uh, Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo or Gareth? Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale. Yeah, I'll go Gareth Why? Bale. Why? Because it's man bun. I, I just there's too much of a good thing. It's not a good thing, and I can't take any more Ronaldo. He's a great talent. How? Yeah, yeah, I just I had any enough more Ronaldo. Uh, yes. and I think uh, Bale has the better accent. He does much better. That's and Messi's accent. better player than both of them. Messi with uh, the uh, 21 month prison term today he's not going to serve okay but. now we're getting into the marketplace issue because i wondered at what point we're <laughs> did, getting into the marketplace discussion yes yeah, yeah, i couldn't believe that they would yeah. pay a fine but whatever all right so good so so ken let's talk about tell let's begin by you sort of telling me and anybody who happens to be listening today what are you involved in here in the community both in business and just because you want to be yeah, well, the core business is commercial construction, uh, second generation uh, family business, also construction. My dad, interestingly enough, graduated University of Florida back in the 50s and had a decision to make. And I remember him telling me about this. Uh, do I go to a bigger market, Orlando, Tampa, Jacksonville, or do I go home to my small market and grow my business as that market grows? Yes. And he obviously chose to come back to this market and um, and really built a, a a phenomenal company with a great reputation that my brother eventually took over, and then he twisted my arm to uh, convince me to leave the mission field, actually, mm-hmm. and to come back and be a partner with him in the construction company. So that's our core business. I, I love it. I love the the history of it. I love um, the reputation that my dad built in the community, and we often say we're just trying not to mess that up <laughs> because of the way he conducts himself as a follower of Christ and as a businessman. Uh, so that's from a core business standpoint, that's what I do. But obviously the philanthropic side of things, my dad was involved in a lot of things. And so we try to continue that on. What are the things we're passionate about at the at the company and me personally? A lot of things to do with, with children's issues, uh, whether it's education or the most vulnerable, abused and neglected, uh, anything to do with, with kids' issues. And that probably is more my mom's passion that's coming out you know, in me. And so involved in a lot of different organizations or issues around kids' issues. You give um, dictionaries. Is that right? We did for a long time until the digital world took over and swallowed right. all that up. Yeah. But for a lot of years, we gave uh, free dictionaries to every third grader in the entire school system year after year. And it's, it's the first year they started the, the FCAT and the, those, the testing time. And it was an interesting program in that. The number of kids who looked at us in the eye when we handed out those dictionaries and said, this is the first book I've ever owned, Whoa. which was a little disheartening, yeah. um, but also a little encouraging that at least they were excited Whose about owning a book. 
you know, it was a national program that uh, I, I can't remember the name of, of the lady who started it, um, but it really snowballed into something that started in her school district and went across the country. I think a couple of big-time athletes got a hold of it, and that's when it became a big deal. Cool. Yeah. So when you say – so that's like educational stuff. Mm-hmm. You also do – vulnerable stuff what would some of that what would an example of that be that you're involved in well you know when i first came back to town over a decade ago i was involved just peripherally in supporting international justice mission which is a really great organization based out of dc that that fights around the globe to stop the child sex trades and slavery and i didn't really think there would be an opportunity to to do something in my own community related to those issues until I bumped into Kimberly Center for Child Protection, which is the the organization that is tasked as the first responder to all abuse and neglect for kids between newborn and 18 years old, which encompasses kids who are trafficked. Uh, and and so it it's an organization that I've been passionate about, been involved with for a number of years. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm to be involved with because of the stories. I, I don't know how our, the, the mostly women, we do have now some men that work there too, that have to deal with those just terrible situations on a day-to-day basis and the way they can do that. And um, most of them do it uh, because they have a really strong faith background that they can, they can lean into, even though it's not a, because the state's involved in issues of child abuse, it's, it's a, it's a state partially state funded agency. So, there's all those separation of church and state issues, but that doesn't keep people from living out their their Just call. Being who they are, yeah, absolutely. So you you have uh, a real passion clearly for kids. Uh, you're you're married. You got some kids yourself. Mm-hmm. Three of those those mm-hmm. puppies. All teenagers. Three teenagers in the house. You know what I'm talking about, don't oh, you, Father Jonathan? It's a lot of work there. Yeah. Yes, a lot, it is. A lot of emotional work. Um, so I, I love what you're doing there. I want to. Go back to something you said just a second ago. You said you know you, your arm got twisted to come here. Mm-hmm. So uh, say a little bit about that if you could. I know that you were in San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, commonly just known as a big city. Yes, and uh, also on the the left coast. Yes, with the land of fruit and nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm talking about the people there. So um, you decided to leave that and come to the thriving metropolis that is Ocala. Yes. Say, say about that, more about that, because I mean, I think that's an interesting journey, and it also speaks to this whole discussion that I want to have about where is Christ there, here? How did you make that transition? Why did you make that transition? Sure. Well, and an interesting thing is, you know, I spent 12 years doing full-time ministry with parachurch organization at the time, Campus Crusade for Christ, now Crew, and most of my ministry assignments were, were large metropolitan areas. I, I worked in Miami. I worked in Tampa. I, I lived overseas in a large city in, in Central uh, Asia. And then my last assignment was San Francisco, which is one of my favorite places on all the, the planet. I just love that city. Pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it was the, – uh, the interesting thing about that time in my life, I was probably enjoying – where I was and what I was doing in ministry more than any time in my entire life. Wow. And yet that was the time that we picked up and moved back to Ocala yeah. from a city we loved, San Francisco. My wife's a Southern California girl, so she obviously likes California. But she, too, felt the draw back to Ocala. Wow. She fell in love with it. Part of it is it's you know narrative. It's story. It, you know My family's been here for generations. Um, my parents are just wonderful people that— you know, have have written such a wonderful story with their own lives, and and left such a wonderful legacy that 
tapping into that and being a part of that was meaningful for me as a person. So wait, let me interrupt here. Mm-hmm. So because your folks had been so involved in this community and you had such a strong home life, family life, mm-hmm. commitment to this community, you thought, I want I want to continue that. I want to be a part of that. Is that right? Am I hearing that, that right? That is. And it really, an, another part of it, and this is this probably had more to do with it than anything. I mean, look, I love Ocala because I grew up here now. Growing up here, I couldn't wait to leave. Right, like every like all every three of my all three of my right. teenagers yeah. are like, yeah. when can I get That's out of right. this town yeah, right, right, right. to a big city? Right. Um, and I was the same way. The interesting thing as I was traveling the world doing ministry, uh, I watched my mom and dad who lived here, who had a business here, and I watched the impact they had on mm-hmm. other people's lives. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I got stopped in the grocery store the other day by a, 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 a good friend of the family. Who her and her husband both came to faith in Christ through my mom and dad's relationship with them, and their whole family, and then down on to three generations in their family are impacted for the gospel. Because oh, I apologize. And now the podcast is ruined. Yes, <laughs> and so the interesting thing about that was that I watched them from afar and thought, I'm the one that is involved in full time vocational ministry. And I do believe they're having a greater impact for the kingdom right where they are, what they're doing, than just about anything I saw going on around me. And that's not to minimize the impact of the things going on. We saw some really interesting interesting right, things right, happen, right. but I was always amazed at what God was doing in and through their lives. So your parents' witness truly was as big of a draw as anything else to come back to this place. Correct. It, what it did, it, it broadened my understanding of how the kingdom of God worked, that you know, being a vocational kind of minister was great, and it was awesome, and I loved it. But the kingdom of God was at work all over the place. And for those who were who were available uh, and those who were willing, God was doing amazing things in Ocala through a couple who owned a construction company, right. wherever. And so it, I started to play with this idea. And, you know, one of the people who probably influenced my thinking the most at that point was, uh, was Dallas Willard. Um, in, in his writings, but this idea that that God is more concerned with who you are uh, and uh, than where you are necessarily, mm-hmm. kind of who you are wherever you are is more important than just where you are. Would you say that's how you do business? I mean, you're involved in a lot of different endeavors, not just philanthropic, but I mean, you have the construction company. I know you're involved with the bank, which has changed names now. What's mm-hmm. it called? CBC National Bank. Does that stand for something? Yeah, Coastal Banking Company. It uh, started in Beaufort, South Carolina, and all the all the banks are on the coast from South yeah. Carolina through Georgia and Florida. We're the first non-coastal. Non-coastal. Yes. Great. Whatever. They've gone inland. <laughs> okay. So you have you have that. I mean, has so has this thinking that that caused you to move back here? How has that influenced? The, the business side of stuff that you do. Like, I want to come back and make a difference in my community like my folks did. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of that. I mean, um, it, it's grown as the years have gone on, as I've matured and grown as a person and, and put my roots down here. I mean, I think at first, I don't know how big the vision was. It was more, okay, I want to come back and partner with my brother and mm-hmm. continue this thing my dad started. And yeah, there's opportunities to do things for the kingdom here, but I don't think I really had my arms around what that would look like. Quite honestly, when I first came back, I thought, oh, good, I'm no longer a vocational minister. Maybe I can relax for a couple of years and not have to worry about that kind of stuff. And then, of course, God calls us to do maybe the hardest ministry assignment we've ever had in our lives, and that was to start a private K-8 through school, which uh, almost drove us into the ground. Uh, it definitely drove us to our knees. Yeah. And, um, and that eventually has turned into a really special thing as well. But um, 
you know, so I, I don't know if I came back with grand visions. I came back with a, a simple idea of, of carrying on the legacy in the family business and kind of seeing what opportunities would be available. But no, no, no big grand plans that I'm going to come right. back and, and I'm going to involve myself in this community in ways that are going to be transformative. I don't think I was thinking like that. I think Willie would, would say that you, Dallas Willard, obviously would mm-hmm. say that you want to see what God's doing in his kingdom and join him mm-hmm. in that work. I think I've heard you say something like that yeah, many a, times over the years. Is that right? That's a Blackaby slash Willard right. thing for yeah, sure. Very, yeah, similar thing. Yeah, and no, I, without a without question, and you know that idea of trying to be at a spot where my eyes are open to what God is doing in and around the place that I am, and how do I how do I tap into that and join into that, and how does He potentially want to use me in that regard? What was the first thing? Okay, so you you move back here, you leave the the, the fast paced life, I guess, of oh, yeah. uh, San Fran. You come to Ocala, and what was the first thing that sort of caught your attention? Of like, oh man, I gotta be a part of that. I gotta do this thing. I go, I want to join this part of the kingdom. Was there anything? Maybe you don't even remember. I don't know. I think the very first thing that that caught my attention and a real passion level was the Kimberly's opportunity that that just jumped out at me pretty early on. Now. Running corresponding with, with that was was the starting of the school, and and that was really driven by my wife's passion and desire, and I felt like I played a very supportive role in that. Um, but it was it was a family undertaking and a massive one. So those two things were running side by side at the same time. Um, but I had a real something about those vulnerable kids and those issues. Um, just it just. I just wanted to do something to try to help. And um, and every time I hear those stories, it, it still makes me cry. It still moves me. And it's still something where I, I – like there's real brokenness there. Um, if the gospel is real, if redemption happens, boy, if you, if you see it there, I mean, that's the place. Yeah. So I want to see it there. I don't know if you remember, but our deacon here, Mary, went to the Philippines for a year, and she worked um, helping the – the girls come out of the brothels. Yeah. That's what she did with um, a group called Destiny Rescue. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just did our six-month planning here for our, what we're t- coming up with at Grace, and she asked if we could do a Freedom Sunday. And we're having an IJM speaker come nice. in to really piggyback on all the stuff that she saw in the Philippines after a year. So it's not just uh, an overseas issue. It's mm-hmm. an issue that we should address everywhere. You do it through Kimberly uh, Center. I don't know what's going to happen at Grace when we do it here, but I'm hoping some fire gets lit yeah and the the sad part is and you know and again yeah how do you stay hopeful how do you stay you know uh in 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 spite of everything goes on in the world around us that that the kingdom of god is still at work that god is still working his spirit's still moving good things are still happening and yet probably more trafficking is happening in this area and and around here than than has ever happened before human trafficking because of the I75 corridor yeah and just because of this this whole concept of human trafficking particularly for underage girls has just exploded globally mm-hmm. and and I don't know if you want to if that's tied to you know the expansion of the internet and and what happens there i mean you know one of the sad facts that just probably went unnoticed in most newspapers a, a number of years ago it was two or three years ago uh, bangkok thailand surpassed London, England as the busiest airport in the world. 
Well, I can tell you one of the reasons why that's the case, and it's not all good. Yeah. It's because of the, the sex trades, and particularly underage child sex trades. So your hope, your vision, something that because God's laid this passion and this burden on you is to see that addressed here in this community. Yeah, to be a part of bringing, bringing redemption and, and bringing you know, rescuing and, and healing in that particular area. Um, and again, I, you know, it, it was the passion of my mother uh, who passed away about five years ago. I mean, if, if, if it had anything to do with vulnerable kids, she was the first one at the doorstep mm-hmm. to say, how can I help? What can I do? And, uh, and so, you know, I grew up watching that and it got into my DNA somehow. So what's it like to marry this passion that is clearly in your, in your DNA, as you mm-hmm. say, multi-generational with of, you know, needing to run some businesses. I need to do some work and get some money here. How do you how do you do that? The beauty of a ten year recession in the construction industry is it gives you a lot of time to do <laughs> other stuff. <laughs> Broadband internet. All right, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> um, you know, that's it, it, a funny, interesting thing, and I've said this many times. I've never said it uh, in a recorded mic before, but you know, as the recession began, and it was. As you know, it hit this area as hard as any area. We we flew higher than most, and we dropped further than most. And and the the crater that was created here was. I mean, we're we're just barely crawling out of it now, whereas most places started to recover years ago. As an aside, the Big Short, see it. Oh, fabulous! <laughs> Read the book. <laughs> devastating oh, critique. That's such devastating a critique. I love that movie. Oh, it's awful. It's it's. I, I mean. You love it and you hate it. At the you same do. Time. Well, it oh. breaks your heart, and oh. and and the fact that, of course, in the book he didn't end this way because it hadn't started yet. But in the movie, they could say, "And this has started again." Right. Um, I hated that at the end. I uh, actually dreamt about it that night. I was so angry. Yeah, and I encourage people to go see it because after I read the book, I was so angry. Yeah. But I couldn't convince enough people to read the book. But I figured the movie and the movie is it's a fabulous piece of filmmaking. Yes. Just in and of itself, it's a fabulous piece of filmmaking. I, mean, I talk about a critique on spirituality. We could spend the rest of our time talking about. Our greed, yes. the fraud of our banks. It's yes. just oh, horrific. No. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to take off track, but. Where were we? I can't I, remember. You now. were talking about uh, marrying your. The, how the recession helped you to oh, yeah. get back and, into this. And so here we are. What had happened in our business is we had built up this pipeline of work, and it, you know. I, you want to say that maybe it was happenstance or whatever, or you know, who knows? But as the recession began, we began in 2008. The recession began in, in earnest, and we had this massive pipeline of work that had built up that all released in 2008. So we ended up having the biggest year in the history of our company by double of any year we've ever had in 08. In 08, the okay. first year of the recession, right. and what that did is it allowed us to build up enough reserves to survive the recession and to keep a lot of our people employed long after we had anything for them to do because they helped us create that wealth. So, you know, um, the right thing to do was to to keep them on board as long as possible, some for two years after we had any meaningful work for them to do. But it also freed us, freed me up to have a lot of time to invest in other activities. I probably should have invested more in trying to scratch out some work during those lean years, but... I was able to invest a lot in uh, the bank, which we were the only nationally chartered bank that survived the recession in, in this whole in this whole area, and also in the philanthropic things. I was able to pour a lot of my time and energy into being um, into a handful of different organizations: Ambleside School, Kimberly Center, 
um, that I would have never had the time under normal, like now, under normal business time. I'm, I'm swamped at work now more than I've been in a long time. So it's just, it's weird how that worked out. Do you, I, I don't see you as someone letting those things go, and even though that you're swamped, particularly because it's part of your family's legacy, not in a weird way I have to maintain this, but because this is who you are. Yeah. Uh, how do you do that? How does well, that work? It's worked out really nice, and here's how it's worked. A lot of that is your, your involvement starts at a board level. And for most of these organizations, it, I, I had the opportunity to serve as the board chair. Um, but that also allows you to begin to build leadership around you and people with, with similar passion around you. So there are people in place who are close friends, who share the passion, who I trust, who I've just been able to hand the baton off of leadership. I can still stay involved, but I don't have the week-to-week grind of leadership in those organizations. Okay. So that's part of what's happened. I, I pared down the number of boards that I that I have to do chairman responsibilities i still serve on a handful of ones that i really care about but i don't have to be chair anymore so you see would you say that you see a lot of folks here in the ocala area really investing in the community you're talking about handing off leadership so you must be handing it to somebody that you trust you like you believe in so i mean would you say that you see a lot of hands on deck not a lot, but some. I don't know. How yes, would you that? absolutely. Now, yeah, because I would always answer there could be more. Yeah. But, yes, I think there are people who share this passion and people who care about this community and people who want to be involved in these issues. And and really, it's the church community. It's people within the, the body of Christ, uh, mostly on these boards that I serve on, that are the ones that are passionate. And that passion comes you know, from a, a desire to, to serve Christ and be involved in his kingdom. And so, yeah, there there are those um, in the community that that are excited about these same things. That's a great lead into the next thing I wanted to ask. So, okay, as you've been here a while, 10, 12 years? What? Yeah, was, I think it's 12 or 13. Okay, yeah. good. Okay, so you've been here long enough. You've been involved in stuff. You've been seeing both uh, God resuscitate your businesses. Mm-hmm. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. And uh, now you've also seen some really good work in some of the things that you've been a part of philanthropically. Tell me, like, where would you say, or what would you see, see God doing here in this community? What would some of the things that you put your finger on, maybe even beyond the things that you're passionate about, which you've already talked about? All right, so this, we, we were talking a little bit before the mics went on about this weird place I find myself almost in transition. Like, these things I'm still passionate about, but I, I just sense there's something else going on. There's something new on the horizon. This is for you personally now. Yeah, and just and from a community-wide okay. perspective. And I think it has to do with this area of formation, of, of discipleship, of, of the body of Christ and growth. Um, intellectually, spiritually, you know, uh, in every other way. Like, what what is happening within the body of Christ here? How do we encourage people getting really serious about faith and, and investing themselves in, in kingdom activities and in this community and in their, their church bodies? I think it's something along those lines. Now, there's some things bouncing around in my head that my wife and I have talked about and begun to, to, to dream about what it could look like, um, but nothing yet that's come to pass. But we have some ideas bouncing around that may. Okay. So you have some, you have a sense that God is going to be birthing something new in you, maybe for the community, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you see that uh, in other places in the community? Do you think this is an area, greater Ocala area, that's 
primed or wants to grow. Because you have a different perspective than I do. Right. That's, where I'm, that's where I'm coming at here. So as a pastor, obviously I work here, I do this thing, and I'm trying to push my folks to think about these things, trying to help them engage that. You have a different perspective, and so I'm looking for that view to come out a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah. The view to come out of me or just Correct. my... Correct, no, out of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of worry. Where do you see the spiritual life of O'Callaghan's hopefully churched, hopefully, you know, a part of a Christian community? Right. Living that out, is that going somewhere? Or do you think like, nah, it's kind of the same it's always been. There's a few people who are really doing the stuff, who are really passionate, your folks, now you. What, what do you think about that? Man, that is a really tough question to answer. Okay. Um because I'm not sure I can articulate, you know, what, what's been bouncing around in my head a lot about this. Um, you know, I've, and you've probably, Jonathan, you've probably heard me say this since I came back, you know, since I moved back from San Francisco. Um, sometimes I, I, even within the faith community, I feel like a little bit of a foreigner, (laughs) you know, um, and not because, uh, just because, Culturally, this just happens from an anthropological standpoint. You just you're, you're in a certain culture, you're in a certain uh, you're, you're you're handed certain ideas, certain ways to think about life, faith, community, and and they just come to you almost like your DNA because of where you breathe them in, because of where you're raised and in the cultural context in which you are. And I feel like sometimes those things can stifle you. Sometimes you can just, well, that's the way we've always done it or that's the way we've always thought about it. And, and I, you know, I, there's something about getting exposed to new ideas and new ways of thinking. I mean, you know, and I'm not talking about crazy radical. Like I've, I've been reading, you know, some of the people I've been reading recently are N.T. Wright, you know, and, and he's always challenging. He's a, he's, he's not American. Anglican. Yeah, he's an Anglican. He's an Anglican, and uh, and I love him. Good Look, bishop, yeah. Pretty much most of the people I read are either Anglican or Catholic these days. So, Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> I just finished a book by a professor at Notre Dame. Uh, he's Catholic. So, you know, Alvin it's— Alvin Plantinga? What's that? Alvin Plantinga? No, Christian Smith. Okay. And um, actually a sociology professor okay. at Notre Dame, but— okay. um, writing on different he writes on sociology issues but, so what, let, me, let me see if I can sum up what you're saying here it sounds to me like you're saying so sometimes because we're folks get stuck in a context in a mm-hmm. particular way that messages get repeated in a way that you almost don't hear them that there's a concern for you that we're hearing the same messages in Ocala all the time and therefore not really seeing with Jesus eyes is that fair yeah and and even like, what does it mean to, to follow Christ and what does it mean to grow? And, you know, if, if you were to ask me a number of years ago, and, and I fear if you were to ask a lot of people within the church community in the Deep South and other places, what does it mean to grow? It means, well, you know, I, I, I read my Bible more, I pray more, and I try harder. Mm, mm. And I'm not really sure that's going to get us right, right, right. where we, we want, want to be. Yeah, I think there's more. Um, it, th- that so that's the message that's gotten you and Sherry want more, and so you're hopeful that maybe this can be inculcated in the community somehow. Yeah, and and I think there was kind of a second uh, awakening spiritually for us when we were in San Francisco, and it just happened to be the context we were in, where we would say, kind of in a new and fresh sort of way, we fell in love with Jesus and 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 the idea of following Him and, and His kingdom, and you know those kinds of ideas that spurred us on, that got us excited, that that reoriented our thinking away from just the way it had always been for us to this idea of what does it really mean 
to follow Jesus, to grow, to be formed in a new sort of way, and, and to live that out. Um, you know, I want those same sort of re- people to be thinking about those same sort of realities here and not just— Can I push a bit here? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just—I love what you're saying, but can you give me a handle? Like, what's something that you're talking about, like, in, in tangible ways? Yeah, well, look, If the, the, the simple answer to that— the, the complicated answer is I'm not sure all the answers. You know, right. That's why I continue to read and ask right. questions right. and pray and, and, and talk with folks. You know, I, I think, look, for me, the, the real moment where I started thinking differently about this was, you know, when I picked up The Divine Conspiracy by, by really? Dallas Willard. Yeah. I mean, that, that book started me on a journey of, do I really know Jesus? Okay. And, and do I really understand his message I understand what was passed on to me, but is is am I missing some of it, or are there things there that that um, I've grown numb or, or or I'm not listening to anymore? And I love what Willard said in that book. He says, "Look, if I'm saying something new, run for the hills. Mm. What I'm saying is is ancient, but it's kind of been forgotten." It's right out of the Gospels, right? Now, I don't think it's necessarily been forgotten as much within the Catholic and the Anglican traditions, I think it's more been forgotten within the, the Protestant traditions. Maybe the larger evangelical church as it exists Correct. today. Correct, yeah. And these ideas of, of, of spiritual disciplines and, and some of the, the ancient ways in which the, the church viewed what, how growth happened, um, some of those things have been lost, uh, I feel like, a lot within the Protestant traditions. Okay, so again, I'm still looking for a handle. Mm-hmm. Give me, a, give me a, a, something I can grab onto, man. Because oh, now, because now we're just talking ethereal, and that's, right. I mean that's nice, but it's easy to to, to shoot shoot bullets from the thirty thousand foot view. Yeah. So on a pra- so on a practical level, um, I, th- I think about this a lot, and this, this again, this is something that we've thought about and talked about for a number of years. You know how how does how do how do human beings grow? How, how do we in any sort of context? I mean, go to a twelve step program and watch how transformation happens there. Um, and, and I think there's something to be learned there. And, and I think if you look back at the ancient faith, it was structured very similarly to that. There was a real commitment on the front end, but then there were practices and things that you entered into on a day-to-day basis um, that you were committed to that helped reorient your, your life to a point that that you began to naturally do the things that you should and want to do. So you're talking like a semi-monastic kind of thing, like a monastic a, a, a monasticism that is based actually in the real world, not in one where you pull yourself separate, but like those, uh, I think they're called third order Franciscans who do this brotherhood, but still in the world. Is that what you're talking well, about? Well, I think in the simplistic ways, I'm talking about some of the traditional spiritual disciplines. I mean, within the... Like the divine hours? Well, silence and solitude. Right. Those kind of, I can't ever remember hearing a sermon my entire life on silence and solitude ever in a Protestant church, not one time. But yet, if you look over church history, uh, if you look at the life of Jesus, mm-hmm. it was an important part of kind of how he lived his life. Um, and yet that practice, and in this culture where we are just bombarded with noise and, and screens, if there was ever a culture in the last 2,000 years that probably needed to practice the discipline of silence and solitude, it would be this, this culture. So let me give you an example. Good. We 
my family has this house on the river in the mountains up in North Georgia. And it was my mom's family was from up that way, and it was always a desire for her to have a little house up there. And so years ago they bought one. And so now we go up there. Here's what happens every time we go up there. My wife and I end up on the back porch early in the morning with a cup of coffee. All you can hear is, is the, the water going across the rapids and the river down below. And we end up reading and praying and thinking, and it goes on for hours. Some of the richest spiritual times for us, and we just I just came back two days ago, and so I just spent a bunch of hours on so the back. So you're all geeked up. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's transformative. Yeah. Like there's something about that back porch and that silence and that time to reflect and to think and to pray and to read that is life-giving. Mm. And, and yet I don't feel like those kinds of practices or those kinds of things are necessarily always encouraged in the litany of read your Bible more, pray more, and – you know, I, I, so th- those are just those are small handle. Interesting. Okay, yeah. okay, I'm hearing you now. Uh, that's challenging. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's hard. How would you do that? I mean, is there even a way that you could encourage that from a marketplace standpoint? I mean, I don't even know how you would do such a thing. Well, I, so this is probably not on the as on the church and spiritual side as that, but one of the things we do at Kimberly Center. Um, and I used to do this when I was in ministry. It's, we called it something. We called it a day of silence and solitude, where you were required to get away right. by yourself. Right. We have mental health days that we require our, our, staff to our staff to take a day just to get away. Now they probably end up doing being with family and getting stuff done, but it's just that practice of getting away from just the normal grind and decompressing in some way adds to their mental health mm. probably, adds to their longevity and ability to continue on in this very difficult work. Uh, if that's true just in the day-to-day grind of, of that work, I'm sure it's true in our spiritual lives as well. So how do we do it in work? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Do you I mean, do it? Do you practice the uh, getting not away? Not as much as, I, sh- as okay. I should, but every time I do it, every time I end up up at that it river was. house, I'm like, i got to do this more often. <laughs> <And> totally. <I laughs> it's so life-giving. <laughs> Okay, so so helpful, Ken. I really love where we're going here, um, but I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So let, let, I want to talk two final questions here. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I'd love for you to give a commentary on where you think Ocala as a community has come from, because you obviously are from here. Mm-hmm. And where do you see the community going? Sure, from the marketplace standpoint, I'd love to sort of weave that in very messily with spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. I hate segmenting those two, so weave it all together, can you? Well, I could probably give you a much clearer picture where I think we're going from a marketplace standpoint <laughs> than a kind of spiritual, because I'm not totally sure what God's always up to. But um, I think from a marketplace standpoint, Ocala is probably poised for growth and for expansion, um, unlike it's ever seen I think. No way. Yeah. More than 06, 07? Yeah, because that was growth that was fueled by housing and construction. I'm talking about growth that's fueled by uh, diversity of industry and jobs. Cool. Um, you know, Ocala has always sat – if you – Florida's a huge – I mean, we just surpassed New York as far as population. So it is a huge marketplace for goods and services. Eighty percent of every semi-truck that comes into the state of Florida with goods and services drives down the Marion County section of I-75, 8 out of 10, which is higher than any other section of any piece of of road in the entire state of Florida. 
by by 10 to 15 percent. And it's because of the way 301 comes in on the north side and, and it splits with a turnpike on the south side. This is the mecca for transportation of goods and services throughout the entire state of Florida. We've always been situated like that. We've never taken advantage of that and, and asked industry to come and put their distribution centers here, to put their cross-dock facilities here. They've always wanted to, but they've always found it difficult to, to weave the so maze of stuff. you want to see that cleared up? Well, it has been cleared up, and, and, and part of it is, is through the work of some others who've worked really hard on this idea of how do we all work together on economic development. To do. What we learned from the recession is we need a more diversified economy. If we're all in one sector and that sector goes south, we're in big trouble. Right. And so there was a real concerted effort to, to move towards a diversified economy. So we are really on the verge, I think in the next 10 years, of seeing a real explosion in light manufacturing, distribution, and those types of industries, which will bring a diversity to us that we didn't have before. Okay. So I think that's where we're going. I mean, look, look what's happening in downtown. I haven't seen this much activity in downtown since I've lived here. From the very from the 1960s, right. so finally, after four, five decades of talking about it, we're seeing real things start to to happen down the you know, housing going in down there with condos, a parking garage, you know, redevelopment of the square. So I think there's exciting things. Like I'm excited for this community. It's not as small as we think. If you look at the MSA, which is how it's you know the the metropolitan service area, and that's how we're looked at. We have 350,000 people here. Right. So there is opportunity here okay. to, to become something really cool. So we'll see if that if that comes to pass. I'm excited about it. So it's on the, the churches then to take this diversity and step into it and say, yeah, we want to be a part of that. Is that fair? Yeah. And to say, how do we, you know. Um, Care for. Ca- yes. Meet those needs. Not yes. just service them as we always have, but really bless and make a difference. Yeah. And constantly challenge the, those who follow Christ to say there are bigger there are bigger realities than just growing the economy. You know. Next week I'm going to be interviewing uh, Kent Gwynn, and I can't wait to hear his answer on this question. Actually, you've gotten me fired up. For good. My uh, my asking of that question of him. Good. You know those adopted people are they're always good people I to interview. Them. I love them. No, right on, brother. <laughs> right on. Well, Ken, we've we've gone pretty long. I appreciate your time here. Um, man, thanks for your vision. It's been fun. Uh, I appreciate you guys uh, inviting me. It's, uh, I obviously love hanging out with you guys anyway, so thank you. Thanks, man. We're so glad you've been a part of our conversation today. We hope that you will take what you've heard and share what you've learned. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, or online at graceocala.org. Go in peace. Go in peace.